Priya, we've been doing this for several weeks now. I don't want to bore you with repetition, but the point of running to the tomb, why am I talking this way? What's this about? It's about not fearing death because you know that he is risen. Hallelujah. And so just as Peter and John ran to Jesus' tomb and flung themselves into it to see what had happened and met angels to tell them, indeed, your faith now is alive. And then the Spirit of God falls on them at Pentecost so that they preach to the nations and they begin to run toward their own tomb and the knowledge that it's just a place of rest. It's just a stopping point that immortal life, eternal reality is already here now and even your grave can't contain you. So we've run toward uh, Peter's tomb with Peter and we ran toward Paul's tomb with Paul and we found out that Paul left a bunch of believers behind him in these cities, uh, these churches in these cities. And so now we're running toward the tomb with some of these congregations, uh, remembering that one of the big lies of American Christianity is that congregations have to die eventually, that they have to. There's a, there's a life cycle to a congregation, and so you plant them, you grow them, then they die. Uh, but there's still Christians in Antioch in that first church, so it kind of betrays the issue a little bit. I do believe that uh, churches do go through seasons of what you might call reformation, renewal, uh, growth, faith, through studying the scriptures, and then they go through seasons of hardening, where the people really are enjoying all the blessings that come with Christianity, but kind of forget about the root that builds the Christianity, which again is is the scriptures. So this is all to say then, now here we are, having run with Antioch last week in the belief that the church of Jesus Christ will never perish, and we're going to run this week uh, with Berea so we can see uh, what, what a truly pious reception of the word of God looks like. But I wanted to tell you the story of Berea a little bit, like I told you the story of Antioch last week. Antioch, the capital of the Seleucid Empire, effectively ruling Grecian Persia for 300 years. Quite a place. Uh, We won't go back there this week. This week we're going to deal with Berea. But to get into Berea is its own kind of fun little pico. And so here I've got something of a joke for you, maybe. But like, you've heard of Cleopatra, right? Can I get an amen? Yeah, okay, okay. So not that one, though. (laughs) That one is like almost the last Cleopatra. But in history, from the rise of Alexander the Great uh, to the the fall of Egypt uh, with Julius Caesar and Cleopatra, uh, Cleopatra is a name that is very common amongst the elite of, of Grecian royalty. And so the story of Berea as a place... It doesn't begin with this woman, Cleopatra, the daughter of Philip II, the king of Macedonia. Um, it doesn't begin with her. The city was already there. Berea is already there. We'll, we'll talk more about that. But like the historical significance of the city, it really begins with this daughter of Philip II, king of Macedonia, named Cleopatra, going to be married to a guy named Alexander, but not that one. Because that one is her brother. Okay, So Cleopatra, the brother of Alexander the Great, daughter of King Philip II, King Philip of Greece, who has, following the Peloponnesian War, united Greece under his banner uh, by dealing with great powers like Athens and Sparta. And there's a whole amazing story there, Um, but he's kind of, he's consolidated it all. He's brought the tribes together in Greece. He's like a tyrant power king, though. It's not like he's loved. I mean, uh, history tells him he kind of has like one eye and scars on his body. He kind of hobbles around as Philip II king, right? Like, like he's not well loved. 
and there's dispute about his reign, uh, even during this time. Um, and, and so what happens, long story short, is at this wedding at a big theater, probably in the city of Philippi, named after him, Philip, um, his own bodyguard, whose name is Pausanias, uh, stabs him in the back in front of everybody, in front of everybody. Uh, now, Pisanius had some grievances uh, with Philip. Apparently, he'd been snubbed. But I, I don't know. What convinces you know, the, the Secret Service bodyguard to actually shoot Donald Trump, right? Like, if you know anything about our Secret Service, like, they won't do it even if they hate the guy. Like, they're that, they're that trained. So what gets this guy to do that? Well, that's why historians say, well, probably he was put up to it by this woman named Olympias, who just happened to be his wife, right? <laughs> happened to be uh, Philip's wife. Uh, the mother of Alexander, uh, maybe the mother of Cleopatra, maybe not. I'm not sure. Um, but but she wants perhaps Alexander to kind of unify the tribes better than Philip. And guess what? It works one way or the other because because of this murder that happens there, this kingdom of Macedonia does solidify and it becomes the heartbeat of the West for the rest of that 300 years that Antioch becomes a heartbeat of the of the East. And, and this West will eventually get dominated by Rome, okay? But what I want you to see then is this little, this little town of, of Berea, okay, is settled just west and south of both Philippi and Thessalonica, right at the north of Greece, on a road that's called the Via Ignatia. And the Via Ignatia ran from west of Greece to east of Greece before Macedonia made themselves the center of the universe for a little while. And then while they're the center of the universe for a little while, well, guess what's right on the road outside of Thessalonica, great city outside of Philippi, greater city. You know, the last suburb on your way out of Chicago, it's, it's Berea on the way to New York. And, and to be so located as they were meant that through the rise and fall of every single empire that came along after them, including the Ottoman Turks, Berea has been a trade route center for that part of the world. Now, what does that mean? It means it's a place that's still there <laughs> again. Right? It's a place where the city is still there. The churches are still there. So far as we know, Greek Orthodoxy has returned in strength after Islam attempted to destroy it. Um, and so it's one more place that's real. It's one more part of this world that is your religion. And now what we're going to do is get into the story of what happened when the Apostle Paul and his traveling companions stumble into this trade route city just outside of the big cities, right at the heart of Alexander the Great's foundational kingdom. And to get there, then, we got to run a little bit of another story, which is Paul's second missionary journey. And we kind of did this a little bit the last few weeks. There are three journeys that Paul takes in the book of Acts. There is a fourth journey he takes after the book of Acts. Um, both the third and the fourth journey ultimately end up in Rome in jail. Right? The third journey, he gets out of jail. Nero sets him free. Uh, the fourth journey, Nero captures him, puts him in jail, kills him. Right? Uh, but Acts tells us journey one, two, and three. And uh, journey one went up into Galatia. You've always wondered, where's Galatia? It's like eastern Turkey. Eastern Turkey. And, and Missionary Route 1 was basically the Galatian churches. Uh, missionary Route 2 then uh, begins after the Jerusalem Council, after the controversy about circumcision. And Paul is back in Antioch with Barnabas, and he kind of gets an itch to go out and check on the churches they saw on that first journey. This leads to a little bit of a, a debate between them about what's the most 
useful way to steward their funds? You know, should they bring along this, this extra person uh, who maybe isn't going to help, might have to learn more than help, but maybe could help someday, right? John Mark's his name, big kafu. Uh, they go separate ways. Uh, Barnabas takes the route they took the first time through Cyprus. Uh, Paul goes east to hit, you know, when they, when they went to the first time, they went in a big loop like this, right? And so Barnabas goes that way again. Paul goes the other way around the circle. He cuts into Asia, goes through a mountain pass, and comes up into Galatia. Spends time recovering and, and looking at those churches. They try to go further east onto the continent, um, not into what you think of as Asia. If you're reading in, in Acts, it'll say they tried to go to Asia, and you're like, China? And, and no, 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 no. Really, it's just eastern Turkey is a province called Asia also um, in, uh, in the Roman Empire. So they just try to go further into Asia Minor up to the mountain range there, right, the Himalayas, effectively. Um, they're not able to do that. Uh, why? We don't know. The, the text just says that the Holy Spirit told them they could. So, oh, okay, I, I'd like some of that sometimes, right? That'd make things easier <laughs> if I had that clarity, right? Uh, so in any case, uh, Paul doesn't have a dream, which I, I don't know the text is telling us, so then listen to your dreams. But he has a dream uh, in which there's a man from Macedonia saying, come over here and help us. Now, again, to us, it's like, okay, a guy from Greece, no problem. No, no, no. A man from Macedonia, like we, we just went through Antioch and how the Persian kingdom of old, its capital falls to Christianity like this. Jerusalem fell to Christianity like this. We're on the way to Rome, which is going to fall to Christianity, not quite like this, but it's going to fall to Christianity. And on the way, we stop in on, on Macedonia, which if you were born 100 years ago, the story of the Peloponnesian War, the story of the rise of Philip the Great, uh, the story of the rise of Alexander the Great, his son, and the, the collapse of those Diodaki Wars, and Cass, uh, Cassander, and Seleucus, and Antigon, Antigonus, these are the soap operas from before TV. Right? These are the adventure movies from before TV, and they are that good. As I have kind of tried to learn more about the old world that actually is than I, I know about, say, Star Wars, which to be sad as a pastor, I, I knew more about Star Wars than the old world at a certain point. Uh, and I said, that's not good as a pastor. I probably shouldn't have that be true. And so I began to learn. The more I learn, the more I realize how boring Star Wars is. The real stuff's just, just so much more fascinating. And so, again, Berea lives in the middle of this. Macedonia is, that's like saying, go to Alexander the Great's kingdom and see, see what happens. And now remember, he's a Pharisaic Jew. Like, I get it. Paul wants Greeks to be saved. He really does. He, he's for the Gentiles. But this is kind of like saying, you know, go to Attila the Hun and have a conversation a little bit. Right? Uh, go to the barbarians, the real ones. Uh, it's not quite that because they're not barbarians the way Attila the Hun was. They're Greeks. They like to talk. They like to think. They like to argue. They also like to form democracies. And democracy, forgive me, it's true though, democracy is a fancy word for mob. Right? Majority rule, mob. And you see through the history of democracy in, in Greece, uh, or even just Paul, right? What happens again and again? They stir up the the mob, everyone makes a vote, get them out of town, right? Uh, it's just voting with, uh, with fists and screaming and things. And I don't know, it doesn't sound so different from what I see happening around us today. So, so in any case, the system is what the system is, yeah? Uh, the point being, Paul goes into the middle of all of this, where they claim to have reason, but they end up just killing people and shouting all the time. And he brings the light of Christ right into the heartbeat of Alexander 
the great kingdom and conquers it. Now, that's the story we're going to pick up on, but I'm going to skip one of the churches now. Okay, second missionary journey into Macedonia. We're going to skip Philippi because there's a lot there. Just too much for us to cover in the time we have this morning. But Philippi is is a profound story uh, in which Paul ends up thrown in prison because of the mob and a, a beautiful event. He's singing psalms in the prison. Right, that's where he's at. He's like, I'm not worried about it, right? Uh, <laughs> I will sing to the Lord. And in the midst of that, in the middle of the night, there's an earthquake. Perhaps you remember the chains fall off, not only him, but all the prisoners. Uh, and uh, the jailer, uh, he sees the doors have been thrown open. He believes they've all escaped. It's his job to keep them there. Uh, he will not only probably be killed, but his family will be punished for them escaping. So he prepares to do the honorable thing in Roman culture, at least, and, and fall on his own sword. Uh, Japanese culture too, I suppose, uh, fall on his own sword. Paul says, don't do it. We're here, we're alive. He says, what must I do to be saved? I, mean, I think there was a little more conversation, but the long and short, he turns into a Christian that night. His whole family gets baptized. Did I have to go down to the river for that? I, I don't think so, but they all get baptized together. Uh, in the morning, there's a message that the leaders of the city who let the mob convince them to beat Paul and throw him in prison, send a letter saying he can go now. And Paul says, hey, I got my lawyer with me. Hold on. <laughs> uh, I'm a citizen. What are you talking about? Like, I didn't get a trial. Excuse me. Um, and, and he actually embarrasses them to their faces, but they still escort him out of the city. He goes down to Thessalonica from there. That's where our text is going to pick up. This is chapter 17 of Acts, page 926 uh, in your pew Bible. And uh, we're going to again look at both Thessalonica into Berea. The point of Thessalonica here is to get to Berea. So they leave Philippi, chapter 17, verse 1, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, think of that as on that Via Ignatia trade route, they're following the trade route from east to west into southern Greece. Uh, when they passed through that, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, on three Sabbath days. He reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. Now, don't look up yet. Keep looking down. There's just so much there, right? So he goes three days in a row and reasons from the scriptures, explaining the suffering, death, and resurrection and kingdom of Christ. There's so much there. Yeah. Uh, Three days straight, he's proclaiming the gospel, which is that he is risen. Alleluia, the proof of his reign as king of the universe, God and man. And in this truly, probably Hellenistically influenced, but Jewish synagogue, he makes converts. People believe. This happens everywhere he goes. Someone over here, someone over there, but never the mob, right? Never the majority believe. Three Sundays, three Saturdays, they let him go, proclaiming Jesus as king. And verse four, some of them were persuaded, joined Paul and Silas, as did many of the devout Greeks. Uh, I think that that may mean real Greeks here as opposed to Hellenists, but it can also still mean Hellenists, that is the Greek-speaking Jews, uh, and not a few of the leading women. Uh, but the Jews, and I would hear that to mean the ones running the synagogue, right, the ones in power, were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, 
seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, uh, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Um, and it's going to go on. I want to skip ahead and then come back. Um, uh, verse 9, when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Uh, who is Jason? Uh, it's a tough one. Uh, I did some work on that this week and couldn't find a satisfactory answer. Um, but uh, I would suggest to you there's a good chance he's the ruler of the synagogue. Uh, so at this church for Jews in Thessalonica, the way they would organize is around rabbis and leaders, men of vested interest, uh, uh, rulers really, though, uh, that the, the chief teacher or leader in any Jewish community um, they, in the synagogue, there would have been one man who would have been the elder or something like that, you know, different names in different places, uh, but the same idea. And there's a good chance this is who this is. So that Jason has let him back into church with rights to talk in the pulpit every week for three weeks. And that's why they go to his house and try to pull him out and bring him before the authorities saying he's officially doing this, right? He could have stopped it, but he didn't stop it. But now, now look at this the other way. Maybe he's just a, a Christian in the, in the Jewish community now, right? He's just a convert. And, and look at what happens to him legally in this country that he lives in, right? A mob surrounds his house. They drag him out. They take him to the governor, like, immediately. And by the time it's all done, he has no rights. He has to pay a fee to get out. Even though the governor's like, I'm not even sure what's going on. You guys, just your own thing. But you, you pay for it. They brought you, you pay for it. And just think about what Fox News or CNN would make of that. You know, just think about that. Or, or wait, is it, is it too familiar? <laughs> is it too much of what we see, right? Uh, have, has anything changed is the real question. Yeah. The lie of progress, the lie of the modern world is that it changed. And I would suggest that the wake up of 2020 is, oh, no, it didn't. Like we got electricity, you're right. But man didn't change. The way we do things, the way we handle power when we get power didn't change. Same thing. So in any case, you see them just persecuting Jason. Uh, Go back up a little bit to this phrase where they say, these men, verse 6, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Now that I like. Like, if you want to accuse me of something, don't accuse me of turning the world upside down. I'll smile. I'll say, I've been trying to. Uh, Because that's what Christianity does. Everything gets turned on its head. The thing that is the most glorious thing for the pagan man, his own triumphant power, is in fact not the most glorious thing at all. It's it's kind of a shadow that blows off into the wind. Whereas uh, to suffer unjustly for the sake of love, because it's going to do some real good, well, that's glory. Uh, and, And that's what Jesus does on the cross, right? as the image of the invisible God being God for us. Yeah. Whole world upside down. The cross, a symbol of torture, is so powerful in Jesus' name that pagans are still wearing it, even though they're trying to tear down the country that was kind of founded on a lot of his religion. Yeah. They still wear the cross. They don't even know what it means. It's how powerful it is now because of what, because of who, Hung on it, turning the world upside down. Okay, they came there too. That's their accusation publicly. They're bad people. We know it. We heard from elsewhere, right? Um, And they they have this argument. They pay the money to let them go. Okay. The brothers, verse 10, immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. 
Notice the clandestine nature of, of what is happening here, right? Away by night, there is fear. They're hiding. Now, sometimes I wonder um, if I don't attribute to the ancient Christians too much faith. I don't know if that's the right word. Like, I'm pretty confident that Paul was not afraid as he left, but he left. Right? He left. He saw somewhere in this that wisdom dictated that he not fight right then. That he not stand right then. He'll stand later against Nero in this beautiful story. Uh, but to leave, um, this is to do something because there are dangerous, fearful things with wisdom, right? With wisdom, they depart to another place. Um, but again, walking through danger, not driven by fear. And they go to this place, Berea, again, settled in the mountains, coming down on this Via Ignatia route. Uh, and when they arrive there, they go into the Jewish synagogue. It's the same story as it's been everywhere else. But now you get this marvelous line. I mean, we don't get much about this congregation, but it says this. These Jews were more noble and a higher heart than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. It's, it's just what ought to be everywhere. And you almost wonder, like, why, why wasn't it more like this everywhere? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, somehow in the life of this community of Hebrews at this town on this trade route, the word of God, in the Old Testament, had been living and active in their midst as the Holy Spirit's convicting power with such retention, with such repetition, with such clarity even, that when Paul comes and says, yeah, it means this, they're like, yeah, it does mean that. Oh, him. Well, that's great to hear. Whereas in the other places, they were busy searching the scriptures for something else. They weren't looking for Christ. They were looking for more than Christ or past Christ or without Christ. Or, well, we're saved. God loves us now. We're kings, right? That kind of thing. Um, and, and that led them to have a hard heart toward the scriptures. What do I want you to take from this? I'm going to come back to this thought to close here. But what do I want you to take from this? I'm doing this, this whole series, to get here today to say my desire, my dream, my prayer for St. Paul Lutheran Church is that we're like Berea. And that's just what we're known for. That what we do is we go back daily to study the scriptures. But that means that you have to go back this week while I'm not around, while you're not here, and actually open the book, right? And I want you to believe that the Bible says that doing that is what makes church church. Like we come here, we get fed here, feast for strength at the table, get the exhortation and the exegesis, that is the explanation from the pulpit, but then go home. And it wasn't as if it was just my faith here today, right? But your faith is going to go home with it and then use it. Use it, okay? Uh, that's what I pray for us. Uh, examining the scriptures daily to see if what I say is so, right? Verse 12, uh, many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. So you have a, a scattering of the culture, uh, which remember like high standing women and uh, average workmen wouldn't go into the same building in this society. Like you wouldn't be in the same place. At least maybe, maybe the worker would come in to be your slave for the day, right? Um, but you wouldn't sit beside each other in a pew. Like that, that wouldn't be what you do. And, and even in the synagogue then, the division between class would have been very, very strong. Very, very strong. You sit there, sir. 
That's where your kind goes, that kind of thing. And, and so um, what's amazing about the early church is it's just grabbing from all these classes and shoving them into a small little group where they have to acknowledge that they're all sinners. They all need God. And they've all been chosen by God, which is why they're there, right? Believing. Uh, verse 13, the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea. Also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. You know, the devil really does know this message is good, and he is evil and hates it. And so when people are hardened by him, uh, they tend to not just kind of leave Christianity alone. And that's the thing to kind of get ready for in America, if you don't already see it, right? They're not going to leave us alone. They're not going to just let us do what we want. Um, we're going to have to learn uh, how to submit and or stand firm. And we're going to have to learn and decide what matters and what doesn't when they say, do this, don't do that, knowing that they actually want us to fail, right? The powers that be in every age, not just this one, want the church to die. They do. The devil and all his angels, they want it to die. And they're going to attack it through unbelievers. So if someone's an unbeliever, really, if someone's an unbeliever, you have to believe they hate the church. They might not know it. They might not talk about it. But like an animal, they do. And so to see that this is, this is nothing new, right? To expect from others who claim to be fighting for God an attack against those who just want to read the scriptures because they proclaim the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Expect it, huh? Um, immediately, it says, verse 14, the brothers sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy, Timothy remained there, right? So um, the church is growing through all of this. It's not like any of the persecution stops the church. It's just something that, as Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy, we heard it read, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It doesn't mean they're going to surround you with an army and try to crucify you. It just means that everywhere you go that's not Christian, not speaking Christianity, is going to speak a message that's antagonistic to your Christianity. And so you're going to have to learn how to defend your mind and your heart against the white noise that's shouting this and that. And you're like, no, 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 no. And you're suddenly so tired, you can't say no anymore, right? Which is where daily feeding on the word, drinking deep in the morning before you see what the day will bring, will solidify your walk. It just does it. it just, it's him in your life, right? And then that will make us a people whose common tongue is so much more powerful than the white noise. Because when we talk, we're going to know what each other's talking about. We're going to use the same words. The scripture is our language, our vocabulary. All right, so there I've, I've said it. There's my call to action. There's my prayer for you. I want St. Paul Lutheran Church, St. Paul Lutheran Church, to be a sola scripture church, a place where we consider the church at Berea our landmark, uh, that we are those who love the Bible. And so here's then a more specific call to action for you. Make it easy for you this week. I have a homework assignment. That makes it sound so bad. Um, I have some living and active word of God for you to eat this week if you want to try. Yeah. Um, uh, if you get out a card from in front of you, you can write down. It's about three sections, four sections. Uh, and it's Acts 6, 1 to 7. Acts 8, 1 to 8 and 26 to 40. Acts 21, 1 to 14. I'll say that all again at the end. Um, but, okay. We hit a couple of stories today, including the story of Philip II and Alexander the Great. 
and you look back at history and you look at what historians study in the rise of the Greek world and everyone wants to be Alexander. Everyone wants to be Alexander. He's Alexander the Great. He got all the way to India. He conquered everything. He died young at the peak of his glory. No one really wants to be Philip. But the thing about the history of Alexander the Great is that if Philip of Mackinac doesn't do what Philip of Mackinac does, including raise Alexander the Great to be whoever he was, it never happens. And so on a secular level, the lesson from this story is don't try to be Alexander if you want St. Paul Lutheran Church to grow. If you want your family to be strong and faithful, if you want your business to succeed, don't try to be Alexander. Don't try to be great. Uh, Learn to be Philip. Learn to be the one who prepares the road for whoever's going to come next. And especially as you're here, you're here to grow as you prepare the road for who's going to come in behind you to grow in the knowledge of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So don't be an Alexander, be a Philip. When you look at Acts 6, 1 to 7, 8, 1 to 8, and 26 to 40, and 21, 1 to 14, you're going to read the story of a different Philip. No doubt named for Philip the Great, father of Alexander, not Philip the Apostle. There's one of those two. This is Philip the Deacon, whose story parallels Stephen's, and around which we've kind of skipped. We've hit almost all of Acts in the last couple of weeks, but we haven't really looked at Philip. All right, so call to action. Read your Bible this week. Be a Philip. Walk the road, 6, 1 to 7, 8, 1 to 8, 26 to 40, and 21, 1 to 14. In the name of Jesus, amen. Please rise.